I'm correspondent Tom Wilmer. Come along and join me for a visit with historian Eric Brune, who's going to share with us insights about military field maneuvers that took place in Atascadero in 1904. Hi, Eric. Hey, Tom. How are you? I'm good. The reason I wanted to talk to you has to do with Atascadero before the advent of E.G. Lewis's town of Atascadero back in 1904. There was a military exercise major that took place there. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, some things to think about is San Luis Obispo County had been really isolated for many years. You know, before the railroad came through San Luis Obispo in uh, 1900, the only way you could get here was by water. Avila here did connect to the Pacific Coast Railroad, and there were 72 miles of track going all the way to Los Olivos. But Otherwise, the county road at the time, or El Camino Real, was basically dirt. The railroad wasn't through yet, so a pretty isolated place. When the army, after the Spanish-American War, decided to formal exercises with the reserves, with the militia, we call the National Guard today, this was chosen as that site. Going back through the history and, and learning about this, the ability of the army to develop that area. This was called the Henry Ranch at the time. It was one of three ranchos that were considered, uh, Nascimento and Santa Margarita were the other two. But Mr. Henry seems to be a very enterprising guy because he had gone back to Washington, D.C., and next thing you know, there were rumors of fever and malaria in Nascimento and rumors of sanitary control issues in Santa Margarita. You know, the fact that the town was in the middle of the rancho and there was liquor and distractions that might not be best for the Army. They settled on the Henry Ranch. Well, that was a 23,000-acre place that's pretty much occupied by the city of Atascadero today. So the exercise that was... National Guard training exercise, and that was lessons learned in the Spanish-American War that they wanted to refine? Well, it was a little more than that. It was actually a intentional opportunity for the National Guard. There were two regiments of active Army infantry and five regiments from the California Organized Militia, or the National Guard, participated in it. They were evenly divided and mixed. So there was one army regiment with elements of two or three regiments of organized militia on each side. And they went through a whole series of problems, as they would call them, over a two-week period in August of 1904. And another dimension that's fascinating, and I know you were captivated by, and that was they looped in the African-American buffalo soldiers. Yeah, you know, after the Civil War, there was a a senator from Ohio that specified that the Army would have a number of black regiments going forward. Of course, during the Civil War, the U.S. Colored Troops fielded 175 regiments of infantry, artillery, and cavalry, made up about 10% of the Union Army there at the end of the war. About almost 180,000 blacks served in the American Army in the Civil War under the U.S. Colored Troops. Of course, Glory is the movie that everybody looks to, and that was actually the second of these units. There was one from Kansas before, but that kind of serves as the reference point to look back on to the early part of that. Well, after the war, it became, by law, part of the Army. By 1868, it settled out at four regiments, two cavalry, the 9th and the 10th Cavalry, the 
24th and the 25th Infantry Regiments. Today we call them Buffalo Soldiers. That was a nickname or a moniker that came about at the time, but they themselves didn't necessarily call themselves Mm -hmm. that during the... Part of that moniker came about because they were mostly stationed out west, right? Yes. You know, the the Army in the latter part of the 1800s was 26,000 soldiers. So four regiments, close to 4,000 men, out of the 28,000, which was the entire army. So it was a a fair percentage, and a lot of the territory that needed patrolling, control, occupation was the West. And there's a historic character. He headed up a detachment in the Sierras at Yosemite. Yes, that would be uh, Charles Young. Charles Young at this time was a captain. He had served with an officer named Alexander. They both had been at West Point at the same time, and they had had a chance to serve together in the West before, unfortunately, Alexander died very young of of a heart attack. But that leaving Charles Young as the only black officer serving a line officer in the Army Young, in 1903, had led I Troop of the uh, the 9th Cavalry up to the Sequoias to basically take over the management of the new park system because Teddy Roosevelt, by fiat, had created the park system, but the federal government was so small, there was no agency that could possibly take on that. So this mission. is before the advent of the National Park Service. Correct, the professionalization of the Park Service. Yeah. They went up there, and they were basically making sure that the, the people weren't grazing on parkland and chasing poachers and building roads and really establishing you know, that early... Uh, you know, the, the park uniform is kind of tips a tat, literally, to the Army of the day with uh, the kind of park ranger militaristic look to their uniform. A historian told me that's where the first uniforms came from. Yeah, it's probably Army surplus. Exactly. That's always the government, especially then, was very frugal. So Young and his guys are up in Yosemite area. Mm -hmm. And then... That was in 1903. In 1904, as this exercise was being arranged... Young was given an opportunity to go to uh, Hispaniola, go to uh, the American embassies in uh, Haiti as uh, attache. So uh, he couldn't refuse an opportunity like that. So he was not with them at Atascadero, but his soldiers were. And something that I've really tried to bring out in my storytelling is that these cavalry troops were just part of the exercise. They did their mission. They were half of All of the cavalry soldiers in the exercise, about 5,000 total in the exercise. So these four troops, you know, worked right alongside the California Organized Militia, the the National Guard units. And where were the different units harvested from? How far away? The active army units themselves were from California, and so were the National Guard units. And they were literally from all over the state. So Presidio, down south. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, the the challenge with the National Guard is that you have to bring them on the clock, so to speak, and they could not afford to spend precious training time. So what they did is they brought, it's kind of like a military flash mob, they brought 2,000 of the National Guard soldiers into a station 
in Atascadero in like a four or five hour period on seven different trains. Wow! Uh, so from it all was, over the state. So they all arrived pretty much by train. Yeah. Well, they they hmm. did. The active army guys they had folks on the road for two weeks to get to uh, Atascadero. The artillery and the cavalry of the active army marched to the uh, this training site. And so on the Henry Ranch, where the exercises took place, that was near what today is the zoo in Atascadero, correct? Well, actually, the zoo today is at the southern end of the encampment, the mm-hmm. tent camp. The tent camp was two miles long and a mile wide, which is basically everything south of the freeway on 41 down to the zoo. With all the houses and buildings, or trees and buildings, it's tough to tell, but that was pretty pretty open area at the time. That was just the encampment. They had built a two-mile-long road to the railroad station to, to get to that point. You know, this rancho had been just cattle grazing, so there was no infrastructure, really. There were trails, the county road, which was El Camino Real earlier, and thanks to uh, Sunset Magazine, became El Camino Real again. That was uh, just a dirt road that was heavily traveled, and the one place to cross that creek was so memorable in the traveler's experience that they called it a Tascadero, which is mud hole. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that creek was obviously ran enough to make it a, a bit of a challenge. And this was before Lewis's town. Correct. I was just talking to uh, city councilman um, Charles Barbeau, retired National Guard officer, talking with him and their uh, public works uh, lead, looking at a map in, the, in his office of Camp Tascadero, a, a military map, from 1904 to 1912, the Army came down every two years was the schedule. 1906, of course, because of the earthquake, uh, was delayed. It's canceled, basically. But in that time, the preparations continued to be made to turn it into a, a permanent training site. So the Army initially appropriated a half million dollars to, to do that, but they never got around to writing the check. So Mr. Henry took an offer from a business guy from back east and uh, sold the ranch out from under the army. But of course, you know, that led to Camp San Luis Obispo, so that I can't argue with that. But a different scenario, and it could have been a major military encampment permanent in Atascadero. Oh yes, that was the initial intent, is that they would purchase the 23,000 acres as a training place because it was easy to get to, it was strategically located on the west coast, and as a matter of fact, that map that we were looking at identifies it as a mobilization station, mobilization site. So this would be where they could concentrate mobilizing reserve units and since we didn't have that in 1917, we had soldiers at Camp Tanforan, which was the Tanforan racetrack, and several other racetracks in California, because that was the only place that was available that you could put that many people. And horses. Yes, exactly. What were some of the exercises? You had artillery, you had infantry. Correct. Yeah. The artillery arrived early. This is 1904 specifically. The cavalry also you know, practiced their, their maneuvers. So when the National Guard arrived at the beginning of the two-week cycle, they were already warmed up. You know, They had also set up all the tents. They ran in water. They, they developed two wells for about 100,000 gallons a day that they could produce and put in a, a water tank and and three miles of pipe to be able to have a water tap at every dining mess hall, shower heads. And, so again, approximately you know, 5,000 troops? Yeah, that's the round number that they give. And you had local civilians from around the county who came out with picnics to watch 
the events. Yes, and the Sunday of the midweekend, uh, there was a, a large uh, party in Paso Robles. The Southern Pacific laid on extra trains to shuttle people from San Luis and Paso Robles to the site and back. And in later encampments, that became more and more of a, a public event and really what would be more and more of a distraction <laughs> to the training. But you know, one thing I, I mentioned, Sunset Magazine, and Sunset Magazine was the uh, propaganda arm of Southern Pacific Railroad. We owe to them the fame of the missions, uh, the Swallows in Capistrano, El Camino Real. Well, October of 1904, they ran the cover, was a very stylized rendition of a cavalry soldier at Camp Atascadero. And it looks kind of like Roosevelt, doesn't uh, it? It looks exactly like Roosevelt, <laughs> a very young Schvelt Roosevelt. But in that, you know, here, the sleepy little corner of California that only in four years before had had the railroad as a throughway. Here we are on the cover of not only a national magazine, but an international magazine. They, they cite London as one of their uh, publishing hubs. That really, you know, it's kind of the Chamber of Commerce dream that you get that kind of attention. In the here and now, I can't think of any site in Atascadero that commemorates that event, those events there. No historic plaques or anything. You know, the Historical Society has dedicated some of their collections to this. They have a grouping of artifacts and uh, photographs. They actually have one of the four maps I've found so far of the exercise area. Roads are identified, though a road is, you know, where the cows walk five times in a row, and now you've got a road. Getting back to your other question, that's exactly what uh, Mr. Lewis saw as an opportunity. Here was a piece of dirt that was available in the Central Coast that had been very carefully studied. Hydrology had been assessed. The loading capacity of the hills had been looked at for forage for the animals. He got a steal. There, there was a lot of blue sky in this one. That's really cool. To learn more about that episode in Central Coast history, military history, is there a website or a place to learn more? Not yet, but uh, I think that would be a great idea. I had an opportunity to meet with the curator of the, the Historical Society there in Tascadero and one of his predecessors uh, over coffee just this last week talking about how this could really become um, a storytelling opportunity. And the other piece of that story is the fact that there was a squadron of Buffalo Soldiers here as part of the first exercise. And the Buffalo Soldiers story has a, a quickly building resonance in, in California. You know, the Charles Young story is being told, his relationship to the, the Park Service. Parting thought. I've had an opportunity to do three presentations now of this storyline. I have another one coming up with the, um, the Diversity Coalition has a, uh, a public event on the 28th at 6 p.m. Be sure to catch Eric Boone's presentation live at 6 p.m. February 28th at the Unitarian Universalist Church 2201 Lawton Street, San Luis Obispo. Hopefully I'll be joined by uh, Major General uh, Peter Gravitt. Two-star general, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, also in April I have an opportunity to speak with the uh, Templeton Historical Society to uh, give the presentation as well. I'm your host Tom Wilmer. We've been talking with military historian Eric Brune. Thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome, Tom. It's always a pleasure.
You've been listening to the Lowell Thomas award-winning travel show Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer, a featured podcast on NPR.org's podcast directory. You are invited to subscribe to Journeys of Discovery with Tom Wilmer on NPR.org, iTunes, and more than 20 other podcast channels around the world. To learn more about Tom Wilmer's journeys around America and the world, log on to thomaswilmer.com. This is Roseanne Cash, and I'm sitting here with Tom Wilmer. Please support your local NPR station. I listen to WNYC in New York. In fact, NPR is all I listen to. If I didn't have NPR, I would feel like my lifeline to the world has been cut. So yes, please support your local NPR station. World Bicycle Relief partners with communities to deliver specially designed, locally assembled, rugged bicycles for people in need. Nearly one billion people in rural regions of the world live in communities far from the nearest paved road, walking miles every day just to survive. Distance is a barrier to attending school, receiving health care, delivering goods to market, and other critical services needed to thrive. Find out how you can help deliver rugged, dependable, life-changing bicycles to deserving communities. Log on to worldbicyclerelief.org to learn more.